Take the guesswork out of your cannabis shopping with ECS DNA Kit by Endo Canna Health. I did this years ago and it continues to empower me to get nerdy with my cannabis choices, which you know I like. If you've watched our Cannabis Legalization News podcast, did you know that right now you can save 25% off your DNA test at endodna.com? That's E-N-D-O-D-N-A.com and use promo code POD25. That is P-O-D, the number two, the number five. Your purchase includes the EndoDNA Collection Kit. Endo Decoded Report, Personalized Cannabinoid and Terpene Suggestion, Endo Aligned Product Matching in Your State, Suggested Dosage Guidelines, and Optimum Methods of Administration. Once you know your personal ECS data, you can shop Endo supplements tailored specifically for you. And right now, Endo DNA is celebrating their new patent with a BOGO offer on their Afeca Soft Gels lineup. Since so many of you struggle with sleep, I want to highlight Afeca Unwind created to support healthy sleep cycles using a patented proprietary formula of hemp-derived CBD, terpenes, and essential oils. If sleep is eluding you, sweet dreams are made of this. So buy one, get one, my friend. You can shop online at endodna.com. And don't forget promo code POD25 at checkout to save 25% on your DNA test kit. What's up, everyone? It is 3 p.m. on a Sunday afternoon, which means you're tuning in to Cannabis Legalization News. I'm producer Lawrence. Today, we're joined by Sonny Samey from Kush Kush out in Washington to talk about his tier three grow op. So let's get into it. Happy Father's Day, everyone. What's going on? Hey. Happy Father's Day, everybody. Thanks for joining us, Sonny. Happy Father's Day, man. Thank you for having me, guys. Oh, yeah. Well, we have a good one today because, you know, don't forget to like and subscribe if you want to learn more about... uh, cannabis cultivation. So we have a professional in. Uh, why don't you tell us about what a tier three is? Because this we have viewers from all over the country. So like they aren't maybe boned up on Washington state regulations. And then a little bit about your uh, cultivation company. Sure. Uh, from Kush Kush, uh, we're a tier three farmer in uh, Bellingham, Washington. Uh, tier three license allows you to get up to 30,000 square foot of canopy space for your growing purposes. So there's basically no plant limit. The the way Washington has broken it down is by square footage. Uh, so a tier three will get you up to 30,000 square feet. A tier two, which is a, like right below it, it'll be up to 20,000 square feet. And then a tier one is like 5,000 square feet. Uh, right now, our building is about 8,200 square feet total. And, but the canopy is only about 5,800. So we have a lot more like a lot more left within our license that we can utilize. And that's the plan over the next year or so to fully uh, uh, get the 30,000 square foot canopy space. How many plants do you ever do? Well, I was going to ask, you know, like, I love that we have that much canopy space and flexibility. Yep. So different in Illinois, we have 5,000. So it'd be like a tier one, but then that yep. 5,000 go up to a tier two. Cause you can pass, I think go up to 13,000. So uh, okay. my question is then, all right, so are you, uh, premium indoor farming, or are you using some light depths? Can you explain your canopy setup? Sure. Uh, we're completely indoor, premium indoor farming. We're trying to target that top tier shelf price point, uh, especially with our quality, uh, our rare genetics. Uh, we built the building from ground up, so we didn't take on a previously built warehouse and retrofit it. Uh, it's a brand new building, got finished in 2016, and that's when we moved into the building after we finished it. Do you recommend so, that? Because that's something that I, I do. Why uh, you if you're more with the new build uh, straight up from the ground as opposed to a retrofit of a warehouse, which there's a lot of empty commercial real estate, you know, for sure. I, I guess I mean, I, I wouldn't rule it out completely. It just depends on how old that particular building is and what was being uh, done in that warehouse prior to that uh, build out. But for me, just to kind of the brand that we're trying to set and we're not just looking at it one year, three years, five years, we're looking at it 20 years plus. For that, I feel like whatever you do for that type of infrastructure, you have to set it up yourself because you know what exactly what you put into the building. And then it's easier to make adjustments to that rather than taking a pre-built building, adjusting it, and then always having to tinker stuff. I'd rather do very minimal tinkering, but have majority of it set up pre for, uh, beforehand before we you know fully expand into the you know what it can be you're, you're located up north in bellingham are you guys in an yep. older building like some of those buildings are like in the 1800s and or yeah, no, yeah. 
brand new built uh you know we got went to the city we had uh, my dad owned the piece of land uh on the guide it's like the busiest road in bellingham uh and uh yeah so it goes all the way up to the border and uh so we my dad owned the grocery store it's an indian uh american grocery store uh so and behind it we had about another three acres of land that commercial property that we never did anything with and when this license became legal uh that was one of the ideas that he was really like playing around with it. and i was actually kind of surprised that my dad was thinking of that before <laughs> i was to be honest with you but you know that's just how he is he, he likes to think for you know he's always forward thinking and uh what and, was uh, your conversation he, honestly yeah. the conversation yeah I, I, so i was working at espn i was at, in connecticut at this point and uh and he just you know he hey the license is becoming legal and uh this is like in 2014 and uh mm. he's like i'm I, I think i should he's like i should apply for it what's the worst that could happen yeah. Yeah, so I mean, it was like a fifteen hundred dollar license. Yeah, exactly. It was a fifteen hundred dollar fee. You know, you do the paperwork. It's like you know, bank statements. Fifteen hundred. Yeah, dude, that was a wild time. Man, fifteen hundred dollars. But yeah, so like, yeah, I mean, but in Vegas, it's like a million dollars, man. It's insane. Oh yeah. Yeah, in Nevada, like those licenses, and like Florida, the same thing. It's like million plus dollars for yeah that's when they're super court. licenses super vertical like that so we wouldn't be talking exactly. about year three or a craft grow whatever we had no. and i love that washington and illinois have done it this way because you guys weren't sitting on like 50 million right it's no like, hell hey, no. they got this 50 million burning a hole in my pocket over here. <laughs> they Yo, if I, like, cannabis license yeah yeah, man. If I had fifty million, that that would be un- unbelievable. Like the, the the setup that we would have, it would just be next level stuff. But you know, we we work with what we have, right? So it was all we didn't borrow. Go ahead. I would say growing up with your dad, like like because your dad being the one that wanted to have the license. What was you growing up? Like was it like mm-hmm. Sonny, Don't ever smoke pot, or I'll kick your ass. Or was it like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So, okay. So we're, I'm Indian, right? So we, we have a very strict uh, upbringing in general, uh, obviously drugs being, you know, always a no, no. Uh, but the thing with my dad, he, he pivots really quickly depending on the market. So, which is what makes him a good businessman. So what, he never really had a direct conversation with me like, Oh, don't do drugs. But it was always just kind of frowned upon, to, you know, not do drugs or not do anything that's bad or, you know, that could get you in trouble or whatever, be a good student, be all this, you know, be a model citizen. And uh, once this became legal and it was something that was acceptable to him, then it was like, okay, well, now that it's a business approach, I can take this on and I won't sound, you know, it won't make it that it won't be a bad thing. So once he overcame that, after that, it was just, you know, me accepting the fact that I wanted to leave my job at ESPN because I love my job at ESPN. But then this business opportunity was way too good to pass up. So me and him just kind of teamed up and, and well, obviously, uh, you know, we built this thing out. $1,500 license obviously paid out. I mean, where's the licensing fee or the application fee? That's the application fee. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it was a $1,500 for the application fee. Your license fee has to be more than that, right? Well, yeah, because we renew it every year. Uh, the renewal cost for our license is like thirty five hundred dollars a year. Wow! And, uh, oh, but yeah, but if I but <laughs> but let's just say like let's yeah. just say if I just sat on that piece of paper, sure. Right now, I could sell that license for like one hundred fifty thousand dollars easily. Yeah. Probably more, but like that's like the low end of it. Yeah. So yeah, it's pretty good. Pretty good payoff if I just wanted to sell the license. And but obviously, we're not going to. That's what makes me sad about Washington State's like no more open licenses. You know, there's no more opportunity for other Washingtonians, you know, and they really killed it's it. Sad. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think that it's a good and bad because from my perspective, I think it's a good thing that no new licenses are coming in because as brands that are established, they can keep that shelf space because that's the hardest thing that was about Washington because when they first launched the market, there were about 1,400 farmers but there's only about 400 retailers. So that's a three to one ratio, try to get the same exact self, shelf space. And that's prob- that's very problematic because you know the prices were just going down, down and down in Washington. And we obviously can't sell outside of the state. So you know, for us, we fought tooth nail for, to you know, establish our brand identity, customer service, obviously our quality of our products, we stood behind it 100% and you know, really made relationships with retailers where you know now they're paying off but for the first two and a half years man we were like breaking even or losing money like it was it was rough 
And wow. the last like year and a half, two years, we're actually you know profitable and showing a solid uptick in our in our business. But man, the, it was it was a nightmare almost when we first started because people if they don't know who you are, if they weren't connected to you in any way, shape, or form, they weren't going to trust you and buy your product. Yeah. And me and my dad, we weren't in the game. We weren't in the medical side. We we're just completely brand new outside businessmen coming in in a way. Right. And a lot of these guys had, you know, from medical days, they had the relationships built and they had the, they had the upper hand yep. till they fully, you know, till we fully won over their trust. And, you know, now it's working a lot better. Yeah, I was going to ask you, it's like you felt that the previous medical market was your competition. For sure. For sure. And then about a, about a year or so after we started it, they, the Washington made that they outlined all the all the medical market and they just made it all into one. And uh, that opened up more opportunities for shelf space. But, man, it was about 800 farmers have gone out of business in four wow. years, you know, four and a half years in, in Washington. So that's you know, that's it's really tough because, you know, even if 800, like even if 50 percent of them, let's say, were, you know, poor, whatever the standard of poor definition of a businessman is. The other 50% were doing just fine. It's just they just couldn't get that opportunity because the shelf space was so limited. And it just sucks, man, because, you know, you hate to see families going bankrupt and people right. you know, really getting desperate. And that's that's really what went on here. And, you know, it, it's an, I, I have friends that just completely just gave up and now they're doing something completely different. It took a complete loss on the, on the, in, in the industry. How much was you, did you have to budget for that cash burn then? I mean, like, hey, oh, man. realistic. Cause like, let's, let's try to at least help. Cause there's so many growers that want to get in the game that want to like know that knowledge. But I hate the idea of like lying to them because then they, they might end up like those other Washington farmers that just lost their shirts. So, I mean, I want them Dude. to know. So like, how much did you guys need to budget, allocate and lose? Man, uh, like, so, I mean, that's my job because, uh, like, basically, I was a stats analyst at ESPN. So I was a numbers guy at ESPN. I was working with sports statistics. But, I mean, sports statistics and money go hand in hand. You can do right. the numbers. You can make it look whatever you want to do. So, exactly. So, you know, coming back home, that's kind of how I work with my, my dad is, like, hey, we have this much money right now. But best case scenario is we're only going to need about six months of extra burn cash. Worst case scenario is we're going to need a year plus, right? And – then what that meant was our grow went from potentially being a 20,000 square foot grow down to that 8,800 square foot grow that we have right now, because yeah. it was better to have something established and working and then build on that rather than just go all out, build something really big and then just have no money to spend on salaries or whatever expenses, whatever else have you. And, you know, and then pl plus first year and a half, we literally made zero dollars in profit. Like it, we actually put money into the into our grow and paid everybody out of pocket because nobody was buying our stuff. It was like no, it didn't matter how good it was. It didn't matter. It was about they're just like, no, I, don't dude, I don't know. Yeah. It, it was just like what the, the main thing that was driving at that point is like, OK, well, do I know you have a heard of you? And then the second thing was THC, like THC was everything. Right. Oh, is it 30 percent or higher? Otherwise, I'm not going to buy it. And I don't know cool. how closely you guys have followed Washington's market. Like there's peak analytics that got dinged super hard. There's a lab a lab that was just like spicing up numbers for grows. And they were just like, get getting on the business. We just, <laughs> just throw some key on that. Yeah. For <laughs> sure. Test it again. Yeah. I exactly. Things, as, as we all know, if you're a consumer, it's bullshit anyways. It yeah, is, man. It like, is. It's complete. Complete. It's the terms. <laughs> It's like the interactions, it's synergies. Like they think Whoa. THCV, which is like in a Durban poison strain or a sativa yeah. like that, they might be one of the reasons why it's more invigorating for your daytime. You know, I mean, I'm smoking a CBD right now that makes me more, uh, it feels like I'm getting high again for the first time. Like it's like I feel elevated. I'm not stooped. It, it's a good thing, you know, and, Dude, and, and people don't realize it was 20 bucks. It, for It's eight. crazy, man. It's yeah. Uh, yeah and the and because it's low THC it's lower price, which is like yeah. mind numbingly dumb. But, you know, it's like buying weed based off of THC numbers. is like buying alcohol based off of alcohol numbers. Like then you right. might as well just be drinking rubbing alcohol. Like, Seriously. Like, like, <laughs> out, like I only get the Everclear. No one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. no yeah. one ever says that. So, yeah. but that's, you know, but that's the, you know, that's what we have to overcome as a market because there's so much, you know, so little research, so lack of such a lack of understanding on what the plant brings to you. And it's, it's still easily five plus years away. You know, it's going to be a decade of full on legalization where people well, can have like, these type of conversations. There still. Like, yeah. People don't yeah, want man. to learn about the plant. They just want to be like, no, it's bad. It's wrong. 
I don't yeah. have to think anymore now, right? You're like, well, yeah. you can ignore the facts as much as you want. It's really not going to help you, you know? Yeah. No. Well, I think what Sunday's going against, too, is um, – and you tell me if I'm wrong, Sunday, because you're already competing against the medical uh, legacy, but also – For sure. There's the culture of the events that you're not – you weren't part of, probably. You didn't. You weren't even aware of, like, the marketing, because you don't – we don't – cannabis doesn't have the – you know, the, you can put out an ad in a magazine or a, a TV commercial. You have to know exactly. the, where the eyeballs are at, period. Yep. And, uh, man, that's, that's a great point because navigating a market – that I was, I'll admit it. I was blind coming into this market. Like for us, it was just like a, it was literally a business venture. I have much more appreciation for the plant and the business in general now than I did four and a half, five years ago, because coming into it it was like, okay, well, if you just grow weed and if you just get your shelf space, things will be fine. But that's not how that works at all. (laughs) So like you have to grow the weed and then you have to zigzag through your way to the market somehow have the eyeballs get on it consistently and then it'll sell itself. That's the consistency aspect of it. Is, is oh, yeah. I want to your product with the craft grower in Illinois and be like, thank you. We're, we're here sponsored by Kush. <laughs> you know, yeah. Don't <laughs> not just that. Yeah. I mean, right now, this freaking pandemic shit is probably killing Sunny because that's where a majority of your events, like we would have smoke sessions yep. and, and it's brought to you by Kush. Yep. Kush and you're like, hey, you know, Bender days. And, you know, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah that really sucks. But, and then I think the way we're going to be even smoking weed, like joints used to be something to be shared, or people now going to be like, here's mine, here's your dome joint. You individual. Know, wow. But that's the one thing that's happened. Like joint sales during the pandemic have actually dropped and flower sales have gone up like tremendously yeah. because people are, you know, it's like, well, if I'm going to buy, I might as well buy a flower because I have nobody to really share the joints with, you know. So that culture has kind of been suppressed over the last two, three months. But for us, like social media has been huge. Even like luck, like knock on wood, our Instagram account has never been shut down. So it's been steadily growing over the years, and we have a really good following on on Facebook, on uh, on Instagram, and uh, we try to be very very active on it. And, you know, to respond to people. I think that's one of the biggest reasons why we're able to have a voice within our small Washington industry is because we're very active on um, social media. Well, you even and we used to do like okay. Go ahead. I was just saying, like the Northwest Leaf, which is like the the reigning cannabis yeah. magazine out here in Washington. You know, there's yeah. no more dope magazine. High Times nope. is what it was. Is um, uh, Culture magazine is kind of you know, but but did you know like these are where I should put my name at? These are where I should you know. We I mean we did that. So with Dope Magazine did a full feature on us uh, mm-hmm. a year and a half ago. Um, there used to be Marijuana Venture. Uh, there, I don't yeah. know if they're still, no, still, no, still there. there. They're still yeah, there. They're cool. trying to. Yeah, and, yeah. Like, hey, you want some advertisements? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, they did a full feature on us too. It cost like three hundred dollars, I think, uh, for them at yeah. that time. And uh, we also got like a just a completely random uh, Seattle magazine that did a big feature on the the immigrant uh, aspect, the story aspect. Yeah, that's of it. really and, cool. Uh, nice. like, um, yeah. Are, are, are you and your dad citizens now? Yeah, yeah, we. Uh, okay, my so dad became a citizen in '96. Yeah, no, 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 no. Yeah, that's yeah. one of the. I was a citizen in '99. Yeah, the, the federal Honestly, man, and the like, state levels, you know, they're like, well, I guess if you if you're on an H one B visa, sure, I guess you could own an interest in it. You may yeah. get deported, though, you know. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I don't even think in Washington. I think one of the requirements for that because you have to be a citizen to even apply. Oh, okay. Yeah, or from the get go. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, and then they also didn't allow outside investors, but people got creative and they still got into the market. But and they don't um, allow people with uh, convictions, which is ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But you know, that's but that they also left that up to yeah for the licenses, not so much. But for if you wanted to hire staff, like in Colorado, at least at the get go, they used to be like you can't even hire people with any kind of a record. Like you were had to do a background check, and they have to pass the background check. For them to get hired but in washington at least they took that restriction off so we could hire people that had priors or whatever but yeah i mean it's, it's just so dumb man like yeah it is but let's let's turn to the one of the things i think is dumb because uh, i've been in, in the industry but ancillary you're literally in the industry what challenges <laughs> are you finding with advertising especially on like social media because like you mentioned earlier trying to get your brand for your shelf space out there was quite difficult so what have you found that works uh, so, I mean, what, what really worked is obviously vendor days is what we call them. So we were, we were one of the first brands to do 
like not just do vendor days, but do them like weekly. Like there's some farms that are doing it like once a month. We're doing every week, we're doing two or three vendor days at each one of our shops, just like two or three hours dedicated. So I was going out there personally myself, a couple of my staff. So that's just being out there on the streets by ourselves, right? That's what is a vendor day? No, yeah, like, like a, you're getting into the industry and you're like, yeah, what? okay, vendor days, what's that? You know? No fun. I okay, so, so, what, so go ahead. Oh, I thought you were going to say something. Oh, no, uh, was, vendor day. Okay. He's been to them. <laughs> No, no, I was saying like yeah. vendor days are no fun. Like they're cool. It's a nice to have a present, yeah. but there's no samples. There's no, uh, yeah. smoking. it's not a sesh. It's just, but it's, but what it does is it allows the consumer because we can't have direct consumer with the uh, direct relationship with the consumer because that it goes to the retailer. So that's the one time where I can personally be out there and tell my story or whoever I've hired can tell the Kush Kush story to that consumer. And I think, Initially, yeah, we can't give you free weed, but what it does is like it builds that trust. Okay, and next time I come in, I may give them a chance. And that's all we really needed. You know, three years ago, that's all we were asking. Look, we're telling people, just give us one chance. You will be a repeat customer. And, you know, that's just, you know, whatever you want. You've got a good sales tactics or whatever. But, like, if you get people to try your products and your products are good, they're going to give you another chance. That's just the way the market works. And so that was like the initial uh, how we got our word and our brand out there. But then the second one was obviously social media, like I touched on earlier. But with social media, you can't do ad, like we're banned from advertising on our Kush yes. page. We too. Um, so, yeah, exactly. Because, you know, we're a cannabis account. They don't allow cannabis. But I haven't even touched the product. Are, so, like, no, even if you don't, yeah, touch you're, the product, yeah, you're just affiliated. You're just affiliated. I'm just trying to help here, you out, you know? man. So, like, <laughs> But so, but the, well, there's a loophole though. So the loophole is this is the you know million dollar secret that I'm just gonna share with you guys. Ooh. You can you can open up shell accounts on Facebook and Instagram. So I have like ten shell accounts that have you know different names, you know Sunny Enterprises, whatever else you know, right? Oh. So what they do is I I won't list THC or cannabis or anything else in the product, but I'll put a picture of the product, not have any kind of a description of it. And pay the ad fee for it. So it'll be like a dollar a day or five dollars a day. And it'll just run for like sponsoring two weeks. that post. Yeah. Exactly. Just sponsoring that post. And then in the comment section, don't put it in the post. In the comment section, oh, by the way, this is at at Kush Kush. This is at here. This you can find this at, at these shops. And these are just shell accounts that I'm not asking for followers on these accounts. I'm not asking for likes. I just want it to be streaming while you're on Facebook, while you're on Instagram, just be in the background. Yeah. Like, because people oh, see I, these I accounts and they see pictures of absolute fire and they're like, I'm yeah, following. Exactly. I'm That's following. And that, and that is a tactic that I just kind of figured out on my own. And I'm sure oh. others have by now too. But like at the get go, yeah. that was like the one thing that works, man. Like, I spent probably like anywhere between like five to six thousand dollars on just this over the last four and a half years, just spending, you know, money on these side. Ad, yeah. ads i couldn't even just, buy ads it gets in front of the people yeah, yeah dude you can't do books book. yeah you know? dude, it's and insane it's, man. it's like, about legal theory and history and it's like no <laughs> no you're not allowed to inform the public about what nope. happened no but you know yeah. you would be your tom's like that's the great thing about the facebook hack that you just exposed yeah. or said and, you know, <laughs> i think a lot of people appreciate it if they don't but uh you know because you're a product that you're, you're trying to preach a pre approach a local area you know you're mm-hmm. and that's the great thing about the facebook hack is it will force that picture oh into your local Bellingham area tom yeah. we're gonna we're like national right we're like yeah. The, yeah. we're like a big conversation so who knows what hillbilly will get our freaking memo and you know, it's, not, <laughs> it's not gonna freaking oh i get leads all the time i got some from Bro. uh pennsylvania california uh, just today and probably illinois so like those three states just today you know and then it's like nice. all right cool let's do this you know <laughs> no ads <laughs> But then yeah, if you ask me, that that's the messed up thing. I did a video about like how to get legal cannabis seeds and I screwed up and I mentioned the name of the actual uh, companies that make the seeds and I provided oh, immediately bad. And yeah. I provided a link to their website. <laughs> However, if you ask, just Google this, the Internet, you know, the search engine giant. How do I find these? They're just ding, 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 ding. It's like, they're sure. everywhere. They're just freaking yeah. everywhere, you know, but it's comply with the state laws. 
I don't want yeah, this it, video to get pulled down. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, apply with the you know liquor board control and state laws. Well, I mean, even technically, legal, I could potentially yeah. get dinged by liquor board control for even sharing this information that yeah. I'm advertising. Well, that's the thing. That's the thing. Like, can I even get yeah. people in the industry on the show, or would that be construed as advertising? And then they're like, nope. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, it is what it is. Like, we'll cross that bridge when we when we get over it. It's a ridiculous conversation, though. I mean, this is the reason why there's freaking warning tags on pillowcases. You know, this is this this is bullshit altogether. Yep, yep, I agree. I, I mean, it's but the thing is, like, it's the bed that we've made for ourselves as a, as a people, as a society, and you know, historically speaking, you know, like from prohibition to this, and you know, now, yeah, it's it's good that it's legal and it's a step forward, but. The mindset is still, you know, I mean, we're, you know, prejudice. We're, we're in the this middle of exactly. Well, exactly. I mean, ago, the prejudice is still there, and it just still there. It just depends. Well, on yeah, yeah. The, the fact that when I say Black Lives Matter, and people get all in the hizzy, and it's like, look, the thing that you you want to be like, yeah, I think everybody should be out of jail for weed, and this is like legal and shit. Well, you know, it's because Mexicans are apparently evil, and. uh Blacks are rapey, and yeah, uh, I, 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 you know, I just like these are things that are still thought processes. You know, there's reasons why Confederate statues need to be taken down. We're yeah. we're, we're not freaking. Uh, there's a mindset that's systematic that when people say there is no such thing as racism, well, when you can keep looking at a freaking statue or a physical thing that someone embraces and loves, well, that makes me lesser. It's like someone yeah. out there wants me to get hurt because I just smoke weed, and even more yeah. so because I'm dark skinned. That's right. bullshit, man discrimination is is deep rooted man and cannabis is one of the it's one of the few things that the minorities in this country really you know were sought, like were be targeted you know dr- war on drugs was pretty much against the african american latino communities in this, within the us you know when it started with nixon and all that so yeah. now oh, you know whatever the hippies and, oh and so obviously like, the hippies the, right the, yeah the exactly. we with the counterculture so if you're smoking it you're at the dead show yeah. ooh yeah. that's terrible commies so you know you know it's you know and we're not too far removed from it and you know yeah we're seeing the pro- i mean over the last month and a half you know all the riots and protests that are happening it's not just oh george floyd got murdered therefore now we're mad at the world it's literally all the shit that we've been like the people have gone through and it's consistent. It's every other month, basically. It's not even like a year spread apart anymore. It's like every other week, every other month, we're hearing something new that's happening. That's just like what you just roll your eyes. Like, how can right. this be possible still? And, and you know, figure, now it's just, yeah, good. Yeah. I mean, it's, well, and, and cannabis is part of that. Yeah. And international wise, like to just to like more prove the point, even for, for like your Indian culture, Sonny, like, your dad was apparently an intelligent human being that's like, I know that we should be doing the right thing. And For so sure. we're going to do the right thing when we do it. But uh, your culture with bang, like at one point did they say, oh, oh yeah. shit, my religion's fucking horrible because we smoke weed. <laughs> but the thing is, yeah, that's the thing. Like in India, bung is the plant, right? So in the Hindu culture, it's, it's, it's celebrated. I mean, it's one of yeah. their, uh, I forgot what the the holiday is called. I'm drawing a blank on it. But like in the Hindu culture, they have a day in the year where everybody's drinking bong and they're celebrating in the streets. It's a great old time, right? Yeah. And so it's like in the eastern side of the world, like it's the cannabis has always been a medicinal plant, something that brings you closer to God, right? Yeah. That's how it's looked upon. And like in my village where my dad grew up in, in Punjab in India, it's literally growing on the streets, like with no restrictions, no problems. Nobody cares. Nobody's like shooting people for it. You know, this is right there, you know, so you can do whatever you want to do with it. You can interpret it. It's probably not the best quality, but it's literally just on the street. It's in the ditches. It's everywhere because it's accepted as a regular plant. Like that's all it is. But how does a bunch of white guys convince the world that it's fucking evil? Like, like convince your people, like, hey, you're money. I'm just saying, exactly. We had uh, we had uh, the guy from Legalize India on, and he mentioned like this uh, this Controlled Substances Act, and then there was a a treaty that got entered into, and then in the 1960s that banned everything, evidently. And for them to get the money from the World Bank, they had to change it by 1985, and so surprise, surprise, they changed it by 1985, and then they got those investor monies and i think it was just well do we have a little bit of hypocrisy and some money or or purity and no monies well we'll have some hypocrisy and some money Oh, hypocrisy is embedded in capitalism like you you can't have one without the other right so if you're gonna you know if you're gonna 
Well, I, I think there's two strains of capitalism. There's the value creation v version of capitalism, and then there's a value <laughs> extraction version of capitalism. And so, like, there's hypocrisy in the value extraction version of capitalism. Sure. But if you create something like you guys create, high quality nuggets of goodness for people to buy, that's a fair form of capitalism. But it's the distinction sure. between those. Like, you know, for example, OPEC. So now we have the value extraction. It's like, okay, you need this product and we're going to keep you addicted to it. Uh, that's that's the, the type that has the hypocrisy. I mean, like that's the type where you're going to have the tobacco execs saying, it does not give you cancer. It's 1995. It's 1995. <laughs> and that was a congressional exactly. hearing, you know? Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. even nationwide. I mean, and, and another, another way to look at it is like for us, for cannabis, like, we're paying thirty-seven percent excess tax on on our on our on our products, and plus on top of that, there's another sales tax. So by the time it's all said and done, there's almost 46 percent tax on this product. And then on top of that, we have no federal protections. So two forty e kicks in. So on my net income at the end of the year, I'm paying another like forty-five to fifty percent in taxes to the federal government that doesn't even recognize my business as a legal business. That's right. That's that's hypocrisy. That's, That's what I propose. The Safe <laughs> Banking Act will pass. Thank you. But you will yes. still get hit by IRC 280E. You'll still be double taxed. It's like, now it'll be easy to gouge them. Because then it's going to be, yeah, it's easy to track their dollars. Then, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, that's the thing it's, about cannabis, right? Cannabis is such a weird animal where, Sonny, your, your your dad and you had a great foresight to like invest into like the license and become part of this industry. But also, in how Washington did it, because at one time it was a pure capitalist, like uh, quality is represents the best, right? Like mm -hmm. you weren't selling weed in a medical market consistently if you had bad grows, period. Sure. And yeah. that's why I always said quality should always represent what your product is. And you going in, you're like, it's like, hey, I'm going to be a weed dealer, which when back <laughs> when I was a teenager, dude, I could sell so much fucking weed because I always had good weed, though. It was never yeah. like, hey, I got some Bunko. I mean, I knew what that was worth, and I probably got rid of it if I had it. But it was like you always had good product as a, as a as a capitalist type, whatever. The the market you're you can make prove yourself in a market, but each mm -hmm. one's different. Like here in Washington, you had to compete against the legacy one, and then the new taxes and the structure. Illinois, they already have a pre-structured medicated market, which blew my mind. It's like, all right, capitalism starts with medical. Yeah, actually, it was it was really not just capitalism. That was um, that's an oligarchy. That that's yeah. OPEC. OPEC started with medical. Now we're going to get into capitalism, where we're going to have more entrance. But it's still a very high barrier to entry, way more high than what you guys did out in Washington State, Kush Kush. So let's talk about how because I mean it was startup. You had to fight for shelf space. Had to fight for brand awareness, and then you brought the fire. So let's talk about how you grow. Uh, mm -hmm. consistent, yeah. reliable, high-quality buds in a premium indoor environment? Uh, I can't even tell I mean, so my grower, his name is Cody Erickson. Yeah. Uh, he has an Instagram page. Uh, it's called Turger Dogs. And, man, that guy, he's 29, 30 years old at this point. I mean, he's just been dedicated to the flower since, he's like, his teenage years. And, like, and he's a Bellingham kid, too. So he knows the culture here. He knows what it's about. You know, he's very deeply rooted into the culture, very outgoing person yeah. too. And uh, man, it, it, so I credit him for having the vision because I, I had the I had the business side of the plan, but he had the full on how to make the grow work, how to make the grow shine side of the plan. And like he knew what he was up against because, you know, going with the medical side and then, uh, you know, dealing with the big money guys. And because there were few big money guys in Washington that were just chewing up all the shelf space at the beginning. Yeah. So he's like, this is how we're going to do it. And it's going to take time. And we both kind of sat down and made a plan. Like if we hit these type of goals over the six months, one year, two years period, we're going to be fine. As long as we consistency is key. And that's the one thing we both agreed on. And so what he what he's been doing is his whole life, he's collected genetics and he's had these, you know, from breeders. Like that's the one thing we do as a farm we really pay homage to the breeders that have come before us or that are still in the game that are putting out these fire genetics that, you know, people aren't even aware of. But once that, you know, once it hits the market, it just blows up, you know, and one of the first ones that we really work with is Dungeon Vault Genetics. Uh, we got the brandy wine from them, uh, from him. And uh, man, it won the best Indica uh, in 2017. 
in, in the Washington Dope Cup. So like that really put us on the map uh, with through Doc and Yeti. Uh, that's another farm that both of us, you know, uh, shared the genetic there. And uh, but so just having being one of the first farmers to really pay homage to the growers, uh, to the breeders, it, it brought that much more respect within the, the connoisseurs of the game. Right. Because yeah. once you buy once the connoisseurs buy it into your product, then the rest will follow because the, the beginning the users, the novice users. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They're the influencers. And then they speak on your behalf. And that's another way of working the market. Right. Because I can't take ad space. But if you're a connoisseur and you're well respected within the community and you picked up a Kush Kush jar and you're like, yo, this shit is fire. Yeah. Uh, that's that's ten thousand dollars worth of advertisement mm-hmm. that I just got from this guy's 30 second post. You know, so and that and they and it cost me anything, right? And yeah. so and you just had to do your job yeah. well, it, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And, yeah. and and so the way we set up the grow is, you know, I touched on this. We're a perpetual harvest, so we have one big room. Uh, there's ten tables in there, and each table is on an eight week uh, uh, cycle. And each week we're harvesting a table and we're putting in a new table. So we're constantly throughout the year, we're, you know, we're, we're having about six turns in that one big room total. And those and, genetics uh, and are so important for that type of regular. They're important because exactly. you got to have something that works within your building, uh, hits the taste, test, smell, you know, that those, those charts that we have. And then it's easier to feed, easier to trim because trim, if yeah. something takes too long to trim within our operation, it, it costs me too much money and I can't have it in my growth, even though it could be absolute fire and we still keep the genetic. We just can't have it consistently in the market. So we had to really fine tune. We, we At one point, we had like 50 different genetics that were fine tuning. And from there, we reduced our menu down to like 10, maybe 12 uh, total strains. And uh, but those 12, 10, 12 strains are unique to us. Anybody that buys us, they can't. I mean, even like simple as the Gorilla Glue, right? A lot of farmers have their Gorilla Glue, but our, we call it the sticky Gorilla because we got to cease and desist and not call it Gorilla Glue. So Go figure. Go figure. Which, dude, it's the most crazy thing. One of the things where like, okay, it would depend on what state you're in regarding this trademark, <laughs> but not only that, they didn't call it Gorilla Glue Cannabis. They just called it Gorilla Glue. And so maybe that, because it doesn't have the actual word cannabis in there, they may have been able to get a trademark on that. That's Man, a fascinating, they, they, tiny you know, legal tidbit, you know? <laughs> The, the name yeah. thing, though, I mean, as, as a grower yourself, you can just be like, yo, it's Kush Kush Gorilla Gru. I mean, like, name it whatever you want. I mean, that's I mean, we ended up changing it to Sticky Gorilla. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and then we put as, as a, just a funny reference on the label. We just put it as artist formerly known as Gorilla Gru. Oh, shit. So like so we're still we're still kind of just like sticking it to the man. But like, you yeah. know, in our own creative way where we're not advertising as Gorilla Gru. But I, what, the point that I was trying to make is like a lot of people have a Gorilla Gru. But our sticky gorilla tends to be one of the top sellers because the genetic profile of it is more truer because it hasn't been cloned and cloned over and over, mm-hmm. over and over from the original. So it still has the original profile. So we have like the OGs that are buying it. They're like, yo, this is this is like 10, 15 years ago. This is what that reminds me of. This, oh, nice. this is true. This is what I'm used to. So we have those type of genetics that take people back to where they first kind of started experiencing, um, you know, top level cannabis and you know, having a grower that's been keyed into that has been huge. Obviously, you know, he's yeah. he's instrumental to where the grow is set up and, and the way we work and have a what good What type of medium do you guys grow your uh, your girls in? We we use a Royal Gold Tuper. It's just cocoa, coconut husk uh, soil. It's all organic. Right. Uh, and uh, uh, so that's what we, you know, we grow in pots. We have an automated irrigation system. Right. And uh, so that's what we use. And we use Veg Bloom as our uh, nutrient line. And uh, we're pesticide. Yeah. Free. We use uh, IPM. Our IPM is basically um, bugs from natural enemies. Uh, you know, just different types of little swarkies. You know, uh, what do you call them? Uh, I forgot what the. I'm trying to blank on the, the types of bugs that. Uh, not not ladybugs, but they're like microscopic almost, and uh, uh, they, you just put them into the soil. They kind of just go around and finish any like if you have any sign of root aphids or uh, russet mites or whatever, they do a really good job of keeping that population at bay. Because that's one thing in Washington. Uh, and in California, the russet mites and root aphids are just just taking mm. over, man. Because the the way the soil is coming in, the way it's being kept, it's just not this is not good practices. And you know, if you're not if you don't have an IPM in place already to fight these, your grow will just be devastated. And these both of these pests can just kill your whole crop like within weeks. It's crazy. That's something never people never talk about. What has been your success rate? Like, I mean, you want ideally like every row of plants to always be 
consistently coming out, but we're talking yep. about farming. Farming is not, you know, it's you tough. nature to put up with, you know, air circulation. Yeah. Uh, uh, someone might have something on their shirt. Then you got spider. I mean, you know, what has been the success rate for you to achieve where you're at? I mean, we're at 90% success rate and that's me being like, pretty, pretty dead on too. I'm not even yeah. like trying to exaggerate because the, the reason I help, I mean, part of the reason you do an indoor grow is to help eliminate these pests and eliminate these situations. And, you know, having an IPM strategy in place and SLPs in place that are, you know, pretty concrete and we know exactly what we want to do and how we want to pivot through different types of situations. Like if we see some kind of a damage on a plant, we're able to just cut that plant out, get it out of the system and anything that's touching around it, we'll, we'll monitor and if it shows any kind of signs, uh, we'll all, we won't hesitate to cut it out because I'd rather lose a pound or two in in a harvest than let my whole table go. We'll yeah. never let that happen. That we haven't had to have that happen yet. So knock on wood, that doesn't happen in the future either. But you know, having a clean environment is key. You know, our cleanliness is you know second to none. Uh, we have you know uh, UV filters in our HVAC system nice. on top of the actual. Yeah, HEPA filters on top of the HEPA filters. Wow. So we have double, triple circulation. That's Holy the air God. is just like viruses, bacteria are getting killed. Molds yeah. are getting killed. You know, we don't have mold issues. Um, we, and, and being a brand, that's part of the reason why I advocate for building a new warehouse. Because that's right. a brand new building that's that's not going to have bug, like spider mite issues already. Mm-hmm. You know, predisposed you know, molds and funguses that are in there that, that are not visible to the eye. But yeah. the plants can get it, you know. And, think yeah. about that. You so, have to go in and bleach all that stuff for like – Dude, know, it's you, tough, man. Because you're going to do a retrofit. So like that part of that retrofit is a, a demo. And then, you know, you yep. have to structurally uh, fix it. And then you would have to just – bleach everything and then of course in illinois it'd be even harder because in in bellingham i would have to see your guys's uh chart of your your temperature swings over the course of the 12 months to determine like you know what type of loads that would be going on but in illinois we have like it's 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 about like 95 90 something like that right now and humid and then in six months it could be negative 10 and not a trace of humidity in the air yeah yeah you know and so for us, having three, we have three 20 ton HVAC units uh, for our two rooms. So, you know, it's a lot. I mean, my biggest expense per month by far, I mean, outside of salaries, obviously, is um, HVAC. Oh, I'm sorry, electricity, uh, which HVAC is part of that. So my, my electric bill. Yeah, I was going to say. My electric bill is like 10K a month. But then your H, okay. I mean, I realize your fertigation system has to like be pumped and all that, but that's probably not as much as your HVAC. What about your um, your lighting bill? Lights. How much about your lights? Yep. I assumed that would be like those two lights and HVAC. Yeah, it lights and HVAC. Yeah, so of the ten k lights and HVAC probably make up eighty five percent of it, and then HPS? the other fifteen is just like uh, HPS lights. Yeah. yeah. So the, in the in the expansion warehouse that we're gonna do, I'm definitely gonna have uh, LEDs. Um, but the thing is like. LED, I mean, it's good. It's a good tech and it will save you on the back end. But right now, man, the prices are ridiculous on it. And yep. uh, and we're not seeing as like head turning of results from yeah. HPS to LEDs yet. Because the technology really- hasn't caught up. Well, that, 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 then there's another just the technology hasn't caught up. It's a, it might be a, a trade off of the technology to, regarding the diffusion of the photons. And so like when you're using an HPS you because you're using heat and that heat yep. creates a different light uh, emitting pattern. But when you're using yep. the LEDs, they're more like lasers going yep. straight down into the plants. And so you're not getting this wonky. And you can have them like yeah. like six inches above your plant, the LEDs. But yeah. if I put the HPS six inches, you're just going to fry the whole plant. Yeah. Right? It's just. You know, so we have to have that minimum distance. But you know, I, I know that the I know there's a fluence uh, lighting fluence system. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I know they're like kind of leading the the movement right now as far as LED for grow lights and for horticulture in general. So we're looking at them very seriously, and I think next year is when we'll make the determination on uh, whether we want to start the new grow with HVS again or mm-hmm. just do it with LEDs and see what the future is uh, with that tech. Yeah. I'd be interested in seeing, and I don't know, I don't know nothing about lights, <laughs> but this is my hypothesis. Like, okay. If the trade-off is like the LEDs, they have a very straight, you know, trajectory of the photons and they don't really, they're more like lasers as opposed to like rays of the sun that are just bouncing off mm-hmm. everything. Can we pass them through some type of either diffuser to you know jumble them up, or like what if we uh, turn the LEDs upside down and put like a hood for reflection? So like they aren't wow. be the same spectrums, but then it would 
the, you know, the, the LED is kind of like going. I'm going to take away from the, because they're not reflecting at that high yeah. of lumens, I guess. That's yeah, the they're, they're, and, oh, yeah, that would definitely screw with the, the, the little <laughs> lumen uh, tester that they're doing. So yeah. I don't know. It might just be trade-offs. But if there's anything, because how fast the LED technology is moving, there's that. Do you know if, because in Illinois, we have to have an approved list light. And so, like, you're on the approved list or you're not. And it, and it kind of gives yeah. people a little bit of uh, a monopoly because you can buy these diodes and, like, wire them all together yourself. Uh, what's the what's the regulation in Washington State? In Washington, zero. Like, you I can put – I can, I can yeah, I can grow – I can grow under a, just a regular lamp if I could. Like, they won't care. But, you know, as long as, as, long as you're safe, you know, like the city's going to sign you off if you're fire rated and all that stuff. Yeah. But if you're, if you're, you know, within the safe parameters, they don't care what light you use. As long as, like, all the city and the state cares about is their tax, to be honest with you. Of course. And if you're able to, yeah, if you're paying their taxes, they're going to leave you alone for the most part. And, you know, you're following their regulations of art, like tracking inventory and all that stuff, and you're not shipping stuff to the back door on top they're just going to leave you on and obviously when it comes to pests we we're good in that because we don't even use pesticides so it's safe for us but you know there are there is an approved pesticide list so for that whoever the inspector is has to kind of key in a little bit more because there are like it's kind of messed up because there are approved pesticides but then if you use that pesticide you can actually still test hot for whatever like let's just say pyrethrians and it, the the minimal requirement is like 0 0.04 ppms but if you use it one time, it'll test at like 1.0 ppm and wow. you'll get a $15,000 fine as a grower if you didn't do your due diligence. You're like, well, I approved everything. I used everything that was approved. But, yeah. you know, the dilution rate with the water and everything, like it can test you so much higher than you were anticipating that you can you can get dinged with a crazy big fine. And, uh, you know, and that's one thing that LCB is trying to kind of eradicate over the last year or so. They're not trying to be as more they're not trying to be as enforcing of fines as more understanding of what you're doing where you're coming from how can we help you and i think that's a big change here in washington and i think that gets back to the monies because then they're like for sure hey, if you're not selling the product we're not getting our tax we're not getting the money yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly and now we it's have an yeah, so. interest in government and cannabis and i love that now you know thanks so much for like sharing all these great pieces of wisdom if there was course, something man. that you were going to impart to uh an upstart grower because this is going to be seen by upstart growers all over the country and then who knows where in five ten years because you know it's going to be hanging out uh what would yeah. you tell somebody uh don't come in with crazy high expectations. Like limit yourself, limit, like whatever you think that you will make in this business, eliminate that by another 50%. Because then when you have your expectations low, you can set everything up according to that. And then if you, you know, then you, you have a better chance of being successful because if you're fighting for shelf, like in within Washington, it's getting better now, but like, Man, if it was four years ago, I wouldn't even be like, I wouldn't even tell somebody to come into Washington four years ago because it was just a terrible market to be in. You know, California was a much better option. Nevada was a much better option. Um, but now I think Washington can be a good one. I think licenses are super overpriced, but they're just, you know, they've been sitting on that license for, you know, four or five years and now they're trying to get the value. So if you can, if you have 150, 200K laying around to buy a license, and then from there, you have another, you know, half a million to a million to build a grow or take a grow and retrofit a grow, whatever the case may be. You have a better chance of succeeding because shelf space is opening up because so many farmers have gone out of business here. Mm -hmm. So, and, you know, there's going to be the household name brands like Kush Kush, like Fat Panda, like Trailblazing, Sub X, whatever it may be. And then there's going to be these new guys that are coming in. You know, there's a new farm that actually just in Ferndale. Uh, I won't name them, but they just built a five and a half million dollar facility in Ferndale because they're smart. They're looking at it like, well, now the market space is clearing up. This is what our budget is. This is how we're going to do it. And they're doing light depth indoor grow house. And it's pretty nice. It's pretty standard. They haven't hit the market yet. But once they do, I think they're going to be really, really successful. So somebody with a clear game plan and don't think that you can just like, oh, if you grow a weed, it'll just sell. That's just not going to be the case because the consumer is getting smarter. And the consumer's understanding quality. The consumer's looking past THC. And the, the, the butt tenders who are actually selling our products are starting to learn about our products, starting to learn about the brands. They're having brand loyalty. So if you're coming in, for them to really jump off of, you know, Fat Panda, Kush Kush, Sub X or whatever to this brand new unheard farm, 
your quality better be matching that quality and your price points better be close to their price points. Otherwise the consumer's gonna be like, why do I need to make that jump? You know, I'm getting my quality already. So, you know, that brand loyalty is huge. And so if you think you can fight against that and you can come up against as a new grower, by all means do it. Um, but I know there are better ventures out there, like in California, Nevada, there are markets that are gonna open up. They're gonna be a lot more lucrative, a lot many more heads that'll buy your product than in Washington because this is a small uh, market in general. Yep. But that's just my two cents. But yeah, you know, anybody that wants to be an entrepreneur, I always welcome it. I mean, that's you know, that's the that's the goal, right? To do something for yourself. You know, well, just to give people an idea too, <laughs> because you are a, a higher uh, uh, quality brand. Um, what do you sell a gram for? I mean, if you're willing to talk about, it, some people don't, but versus sure. what, what, what yeah. do you sell it for? Because I'm going to buy a gram of top <laughs> shelf sometimes for a gram of fifteen dollars at a dispensary, uh, but I know yeah. they're selling it for like three dollars or some shit like that. Yeah. What so, so the way the so the way the market is set up, you know, like I alluded to earlier, the, the taxes. Each retailer will whatever they're buying the product for, they automatically will mark it up three times. So if they bought it for four dollars, they're selling it for twelve dollars. It's the simplest math you can do. So with us, we're at that three eighty to four twenty price point. Like in the like we depending on how much you buy, you know, bulk discounts and stuff. So we're always going to range between that because we have enough inventory where we don't need to price it. Like so, there's some tier ones, tier twos that grow only like thirty to fifty pounds a month. They are going to price it like four fifty, you know, which is if there's good quality, they'll get it, and then the retailer will sell it for like fifteen. Uh, yeah. I think Washington Bud is one of those examples where they have very limited amount of stuff that they're bringing down every month, so they're getting the top tier price point. But we're we're in the middle range where we produce enough where it's consistent. We know it's always going to be there, you know, barring some crazy natural disaster. So we're able to reduce our prices a little bit to keep it moving because I don't want my product sitting ever. And I want as many retail partnerships as possible because yeah. my goal is to, you know, by end of next year, be five times bigger than what I'm now, what I'm at now. So if I have those relationships built now and, you know, drop my prices down now, it's going to be a lot easier for me to take more shelf space later. And that's just basic, you know, business one-on-one, yeah. right? But if I had no plans of expanding and I was content with what my setup is, then I'm going to raise my prices. Then I'm going to put it at 420, 430 a grand. And the retailer is going to sell it for, you know, 13, 14, $15 rather than $12. So that's kind of how I've approached my business side. Yes. So you got to sell it by the gram, which I guess does make sense considering when I go yep. to the dispensary, I'm buying it by the grams or way less than an ounce. Yep. So nice. Yeah, but I mean, we we have different sizes. We you know we sell as grams, eights, quarters, yeah. half ounces, ounces. But the average price is always going to be by the gram because it's always going to be packaged. It's in our packaging and as glass jars right. and in our bags. Nice, Sunny. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah. Where can we go to find and thank follow you guys. on at Kush Kush? Uh, at Kush Kush on Instagram, uh, at Kush Kush on Facebook. Uh, obviously, our website kushkush.com. Uh, um, you know, you guys can probably directly reach out to me or info at kushkush.com if you have any questions. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm usually very active on our Instagram page too. So usually if you message us or follow us or comment us, we're going to respond to you. And if you have any questions about us, how we operate or anything else, you know, feel free to reach out. We want to share as much information as possible and be as transparent as possible because it's going to help us, uh, help us be a better brand, but it's also going to help the industry, I think, become that much more closer and collectively make changes that are needed for growers and retailers to succeed. And all of all you guys on the side that are, you know, make are the voices of this industry that give you guys more uh, ammo to use against the, you know, the government, basically what's needed right now to give us protections. Right on. Yeah. Thank you so yeah. much. And we will throw those. Thank you guys. Uh, thanks for tuning in everyone. Make sure you like and subscribe to tune up, tune in for all cannabis legalization news. We will see you on Wednesday. Appreciate it, guys. <laughs>